the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network presents Vatican Insider with Joan Lewis. Each week, Joan brings you news from inside the Vatican and the church around the world, as well as interviews and answers to your questions. Now, here's the host of Vatican Insider, Joan Lewis. Welcome to Vatican Insider on the second weekend of September. I'll be away for the next two weekends, so there will be no news summary, but my radio colleagues are preparing the best of for those dates. I do, however, want to highlight the fact that my special guest in the interview segment this weekend will also be back next week, and that guest is Deacon Andrew Andy Orozco of the Diocese of San Bernardino in California. He's a Native American who works in the Native American ministry in the diocese. You will be fascinated by his reports on Native Americans, explaining what life is like for those who live on a reservation, their education, how they live the faith, and the specifics of his ministry in the diocese. I learned a lot with Deacon Andy, and so will you. Now some news highlights from the past week. Sunday, September 3rd. Pope Francis was still in Mongolia, in whose capital, Ulaanbaatar, he celebrated Mass. He spoke of the thirst for happiness and love that is found in the heart of every human being. Dear brothers and sisters, he said, the Christian faith is the answer to this thirst. For in this thirst lies the great mystery of our humanity. It opens our hearts to the living God, the God of love, who comes to meet us and make us his children brothers and sisters to one another. As he concluded Mass, he took a moment to invite two Chinese bishops to stand with him at the altar. Francis greeted Cardinal John Tong Han, Bishop Emeritus of Hong Kong, and Jesuit Cardinal-elect Stephen Chow, Bishop of Hong Kong. Holding up their hands, he sent greetings to the noble people of China and wished all the people the best. Also Sunday, the Holy Father presided over an ecumenical and interreligious event in Mongolia's iconic Han Theater in the nation's capital. Representatives of Shintoism, Buddhism, Islam, Judaism, Hinduism, Shamanism, and some Christian confessions took part. Francis said religions have a great responsibility, and he encouraged the religious leaders to pursue dialogue and harmony while avoiding scandal. Monday, September 4th. On this, his final day in Mongolia, Pope Francis inaugurated the House of Mercy in Ulaanbaatar, and he addressed members of charitable organizations, celebrating their unwavering commitment to helping those in need. He thanked those present for their warm welcome, which included traditional Mongolian song and dance. Before departing Mongolia's capital for the 10-hour flight to Rome, Francis celebrated Mass in private at the Apostolic Prefecture. He thanked the staff and Cardinal Giorgio Marengo, the Apostolic Prefect of Ulaanbaatar, who has accompanied the Holy Father throughout his visit. As a sign of his appreciation, the Pope gifted Cardinal Marengo a golden chalice. And as a sign of his fatherly care, Pope Francis gave the Apostolic Prefecture a statue of St. Joseph. On board the plane, he held an in-flight press conference with the 70-some journalists on board. The flight arrived Rome in late afternoon. 
Pope Francis went directly to St. Mary Major Basilica to offer a prayer of gratitude to the Blessed Virgin Mary for her protection during his apostolic journey to Mongolia. Tuesday, September 5th, Pope Francis made a surprise visit to the Vatican's Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith, less than 24 hours after returning from his apostolic journey. He arrived just after 9 a.m., and there he met with and thanked Cardinal Luis Francisco Laderia for all his work during his years as prefect. He also greeted various officials in the dicastery. Wednesday, September 6th, the Pope presided at the weekly general audience in St. Peter's Square, and he reflected on his just-concluded apostolic journey to Mongolia home to a cardinal, and yet fewer than 1,500 Catholics. Saying, I've been to the heart of Asia and it did me good, he pointed out how God seeks simple hearts who love and desire him. Mongolia was Francis's 43rd apostolic journey abroad and the 61st country visited as Pope. He said he delighted in the great grace he experienced in Mongolia to meet a humble and joyful church in the heart of God, adding, I can testify to their joy at being in the center of the church for only a few days. Pope Francis also expressed his closeness to those affected by a deadly fire in a building in Johannesburg, South Africa, that killed over 70 people, including several children. Thursday, September 7th. Pope Francis greeted members of the Italian Biblical Association and professors of sacred scripture gathered in Rome for Italy's 47th National Bible Week. He encouraged them by saying, Dear friends, go forth, go ahead in your mission to help God's people be nourished by the Word so that the Bible may be increasingly the heritage of all. Francis noted that the Biblical Association also works in collaboration with the Pontifical Biblical Institute at a decisive moment for the reform of the Pontifical Universities, where the alliance between academic institutions is not always easy. However, he said, for many of the Association's members, the Pontifical Biblical Institute remains the alma mater that generated them to research and apostolate. This, the Pope said, offers an example of the synergy that urgently needs to be fostered in Rome and elsewhere between the various study institutes, not least to avoid running the risk of irreparable extinction. Friday, September 8th, the Holy Father had a number of individual private audiences, including American actor Sylvester Stallone. Also, as the beatification of the Polish Alma family approaches on September 10th, Pope Francis upheld their collective witness of faith in giving their lives to save Jews during World War II. May the sacrifice made by the family of Joseph and Victoria Ulma and their children, who did not hesitate to give their lives to help eight people of Jewish origin, be for us and future generations a symbol of faithfulness to values that must never be betrayed, even under threat of death. And this was in a letter to Father Miroslav Kalonowski, the rector of the Catholic University of Lublin, that published the book Martyred and Blessed Together. The Extraordinary Story of the Alma Family. Well, those are the week's news highlights, but stay here for a Q&A and my conversation with Native American Deacon Angela Rosco of the Diocese of San Bernardino. 
a doctor of the church and one of the greatest defenders of Christ's divinity. Matthew Bunsen and the doctors of the church. St. Athanasius of Alexandria fought against the Arian heresy that questioned the divinity of Christ. He once condemned the Arians as opposers of Christ who had dug a pit of ungodliness. It was said of him, Athanasius contra mundum, Athanasius against the world, but for Christ. He died in 373. To find out more about the doctors of the church, visit EWTN.com and click on Catholicism. As the largest religious media network in the world, EWTN has an important role in educating others about our Catholic faith and spreading the good news of salvation. We invite you to explore our numerous pages of historical faith documents, prayers, teachings, and other current issues in Catholicism today. Visit EWTN.com and click Catholicism. EWTN is the global Catholic network. Welcome back to Vatican Insider on EWTN. Now Joan Lewis answers your questions on this week's Q&A. Welcome to the Q&A segment. Today's Q&A is all about the Paul, an object you have probably seen many times and perhaps never knew its name. So what is a Paul? And that's P-A-L-L. Philip Kozlowski did a great piece on this for Alatea. If you have ever attended a Christian funeral, especially those celebrated in the Catholic Church, you might have seen a large cloth that covers the casket during the liturgy. This cloth is called the pall, and from it we also get the word pallbearers, designating those people who assist in carrying the casket during the funeral. It's unclear when exactly Christians began to place a large cloth over the casket, but the tradition appears to have begun during the Middle Ages. Originally, the pall had multiple uses, as it would be later used for priestly vestments for the celebration of Mass. These palls were quite elaborate and were various colors according to the situation. Eventually, the pall was entirely black in color to match the priest vestments, symbolizing the grief experienced by the death of a loved one. After the Second Vatican Council, the pall was ordered to be primarily white in color. The Order of Christian Funerals explains the symbolism. Quote, a pall, placed over the body when it is received in the church, is a reminder of the baptismal garment of the deceased, a sign of the Christian dignity of the person. The use of the pall also signifies that all are equal in the eyes of God. So now you know what a pall is and wonder why you didn't think of it earlier when you saw Paul Bearers. Well, I want to welcome my listeners to another edition of Vatican Insider, and I think you're going to find this one pretty interesting. In some ways, it's going to be kind of an off-the-cuff conversation with a very new friend and his wife who are in town in Rome, and how we met was uh, something you might even imagine. First of all, I will mention their names. I'll be talking with Deacon Andy Orozco and, and his wife, Roseanne. So welcome to both of you to a Vatican Insider. Thank you very much, Joan. It's a pleasure being here with you, and I am very excited. This is off the cuff. And, and it's going to be a great story. And, and Roseanne, welcome as well. Thank you so much, Joan. Well, here's how we met. Anybody who knows me, follows my work, knows that one of my favorite places to have dinner is La Vittoria, a restaurant near my house. In fact, half of the listeners may at some time or another have, have been there and our paths crossed. And that's exactly what happened um, two nights ago. They 
recognized me. I was sitting waiting for a guest to arrive and recognized me, came over to the table. We had a fascinating conversation. As I went home and reflected on everything they told me, I knew I had to interview Deacon Andy. You see, first of all, they've had several weeks in Europe. They went to World Youth Day in Lisbon, now in Rome. They are are leaving tomorrow morning. But the most interesting thing is Deacon Andy is very active in the San Bernardino Diocese in the Native American ministry. And you're going to hear him, hear him tell his story in a minute and find out that it's the only diocese in California that has this special ministry. Now, Andy, the wonderful part about your story, and you're going to tell me that right away, is that you have, um, you have Spanish roots and you have Native American roots yourself. So tell us that story. Yes, uh, correct, Joan. Uh, I am a Native American. I am Kumeyaay uh, on my grandfather's side, uh, which is basically San Diego, the county of San Diego. And on my grandmother's side, I am Tongva uh, in the Los Angeles County area. Uh, they married e- each other, and, and, uh, uh, that, and that's what we do is we intermarry. Um, and that's on my father's side. Uh, on my uh, mother's side, I am Spanish. Uh, my um, mom... Uh, has Spanish heritage, uh, and uh, uh, there's a funny story with that. Uh, when my um, mom was going out with my father, uh, my aunt uh, went to my mom and said, "Why? Why do you want to? Why are you going out with this Indian?" And uh, my mom says, "He's not Indian." And she says, "Yes, he is. You better check." And <laughs> she checked. Uh, she uh, confronted my father and and uh, says, "Are you Indian?" And my dad uh, looked at her and uh, uh, he said, does it matter? And my mom just kind of thought for a second and said, well, I guess you're my Indian. Oh. So uh, with that, uh, they were married uh, uh, a lot of years, had a lot of, you know, uh, had, had my three brothers. And we grew up not on the reservation because on the reservation, uh, it's a tough life. And my father did not want that for us. Uh, he wanted us to live off the reservation. He wanted us to get our education. Uh, he wanted us to work within the system, have good jobs uh, so that we can eventually bring back what we have learned to the res. Yeah, and that's and that's what we have done, my myself and my brothers. And um, I read recently. I um, mean, I read last night a reflection that you wrote on your on your background. I find it very touching, and how you would go often to the reservation to visit relatives, and and you saw how they lived in many cases, and it was very different from how you lived. It was very different uh, in that, as I say before, it is a difficult life on on the reservation. When we build on our uh, on our on the plots of land that are assigned to us, uh, you know we you know we build homes of very simple means because we don't own the property itself uh, that is held in trust to us. Well, our, the only equity that that people have is their land to be able to borrow. F- from it to be able to build their houses. Well, that's not the opportunities that we have on the on the reservation. So when we went to go visit our cousins, we can see the, the homes that they lived on. We lived in a track home that was, you know, that were that were pretty nice. They were very nice. Uh, but uh, when we uh, went to the res and visited our cousins, you could see what it was, uh, what it was like, how difficult it was uh, just because they, you know, they had to build as a, as a, uh, funds to, to, to build. Uh, it, it was a, a life that was, 
oh, challenging also because when we uh, left the res, uh, they uh, um, our cousins would say, "Oh, you're not you're not native. You know, you you left the res. You're not you're no longer a part of us." And then when we uh, uh, and then living off the res, they'd find out we were native, and they would say, "Oh." Oh, you're Indian and just kind of shun us. So we were caught in the middle. Uh, wow. But that was, that's what we lived with. That was fine. It, it didn't it didn't bother any of us. Now, did children go to school? Those who lived um, on the reservation, was school on the reservation? Or did they go to public schools outside? For the most part, they lived on public, uh, they went to public schools. Uh, there are some reservations that do have mm-hmm. uh, native Schools uh, more so now than then, but at, during that time it was public schools. Andy, where are most Native Americans living today? We're going to talk more in depth about California in a minute, but um, I'm I'm learning literally as as we speak, listening to you. So, are the majority of Native Americans on the two coasts? Um, I, I think of the West Coast. I think of the East Coast. I think of the Indians in some of the states that border Canada. So um, enlighten all of us on where we can find. There are many, many tribes, many different tribes. Well, there are many tribes throughout the nation, throughout the United States, uh, and they there are tribes in every state. There are. Uh, that is one of the things I like to bring awareness of is that we are still here, we are still prospering, uh, and we are still, uh, you know, Providing the opportunity, uh, you know, to to be able to uh, to meet uh, to meet us and to ha- bring an awareness uh, that we are still here. So yes, uh, we are throughout the United States. Uh, there is a wonderful uh, Knights of Columbus has a wonderful uh, video yes. called uh, "Enduring Faith" uh, that speaks about the tribes throughout the United States that uh, uh, that. It's Catholic based, but it uh, it describes you know the uh, the tribes throughout the United States. Well, after our conversation, I became aware of the of the Knights of Columbus movie. So, what I want to do, actually, having gone on the internet to look at the uh, at your background and also the story of the Knights of Columbus movie, here's what the website said when that document came out. And this is so this will be so interesting for my listeners. It's impossible to fully understand what it means to be a Catholic in North America without a a sincere appreciation for the Catholic tradition among so many Native tribes. And again, that's the KFC website. Few people realize that indigenous communities throughout the continent were sincerely practicing their faith centuries before the founding of the United States. And this is a missing piece to the greater story of Catholicism in America. And that must be a focus of your ministry it in is. the diocese. It is. I, I bring awareness not only to our uh, to our native people, but to uh, to all people in the uh, United States that you know we are the first neophytes of the of the United States. We are the first ones that uh, the the priests, the brown robes or the black robes. Uh, uh, Jesuits, Jesuits yeah. and the uh, and the Franciscans, uh, they were the first ones that came to us, and we were the ones that built their missions. We are the ones that built their churches, uh, and we are the ones that were first baptized centuries before the uh, uh, before the founding of the United States. What's so interesting is I'm listening to you. It it sounds like 
what many Native Americans need to do is a, a little more publicity, some more public relations. I know you and your work, I mean, and you're the only Native American um, deacon in the Catholic priest in, in California or in all of America? No, not not in America. There's There are a lot of... Uh, uh, ordained priests and deacons uh, who serve the Native American community uh, throughout the United States. Right. I am uh, within uh, California as far as I know, uh, and I've done a lot of research, but I am the only uh, local clergy, uh, California-born clergy that's uh, ordained in, and serving okay. in, in California. And now, exactly, you're, you're invited to speak so often in other parishes. Do you speak outside of California as well as throughout the state and the dioceses there? Yes, I do. I, I am invited to uh, to uh, speak about the Native American cause. In fact, uh, I was invited by the Knights of Columbus uh, to join in on a uh, on a talk that they sponsored to bring up the Native American uh, issues within the United States. Uh, and there was. Oh, I think there were 16 of us uh, from throughout the uh, country, including uh, uh, Alaska, uh, Florida, uh, throughout the United States, that gathered to to talk to the bishops about what uh, uh, some of the causes, uh, some of the issues that were at hand. Uh, and I, at that time, I spoke about uh, the uh, uh, Hunaparacera because it was a, sure. a, a, a big issue, and it still is a big issue. Uh, and I also uh, spoke on the uh, on the on the boarding schools, and also spoke on you know what uh, Native American people. Uh, we are a spiritual people. We uh, and spirituality is different than uh, being religious. Uh, spirituality means that we have a connectedness. We see a connectedness to all things. Uh, we're connected to the Mother Earth because she provides for us for the sky, for the uh, for the oceans, for the waters because they provide the uh, uh, the swimming animals uh, for us, the uh, uh, the birds, the birds of the air, the uh, the, am- the mammals because they again they all uh, you know we're all connected. We need each other. So when the when Hunaparacero came on up uh, to from Mexico to to found uh, the churches or the missions uh, coming on up uh, uh, from Mexico, uh, what happened is he started replacing our uh, spiritual leaders with the uh, with with priests, uh, and uh, and what that caused was. Uh, the spiritual leaders were uh, uh, was a, or a part of who, uh, who the people are, uh, and uh, and and they became pretty upset because all of a sudden they were being replaced by the black robes, brown robes, or uh, and uh, and and then all of a sudden they would change them. Well, so trying to suffocate a Native American culture with another culture. Exactly. Yeah. That's what they were trying to do, and they they were trying to uh, uh, show us how to do things that we've been doing for ten thousand years. You know how to how to farm the european way how to how to do all the different uh, things the european way but again we've been here you know for 10,000 years and we knew our land we knew our oceans we knew how to do all those things we knew our medicines uh yes we are catholic bishops doing enough because i most of them i'm going to guess in their diocese would not have a large number of native americans if anything they if they do have native native americans it would be a smaller percentage 
of a parish, of a diocese? Well, thanks to uh, uh, people like Father Henry Sands, who is a director for the Black and uh, Indian Mission uh, Coalition. He brings awareness to the bishops. He is a, he is a, a native himself from uh, from Michigan, and uh, a wonderful man that uh, you know that has really fought for the cause. Him and, and uh, Father Michael Carson, who is also native, uh, and at a national level. He he is a one. He's the spearhead of, of of bringing the information or the awareness to the bishops uh, for the Native American people. What about on the level of the U.S. government? Do we have we we do have, but I I think, but I don't remember the name. There is some kind of an office for Native Affairs, right? Uh, the Department of the Interior. Uh, they are the ones that are responsible for the Indian reservations, uh, and uh, and it was just recently where a uh, a Native American I cannot remember her name at this moment uh, was assigned to be the director of the uh, Department of the Interior. I work for not for the Department of the Interior, but I work for Morongo Band of Mission Indians as their land surveyor professionally, and uh, I work hand-in-hand with the the Department of the Interior uh, regarding Indian lands. Now, when you go around and talk, Deacon Andy, is your audience generally, they're being informed for the first time about the history of Native Americans, about their relationship to the faith, about so many issues that they even have, life issues today? Are most people... Do they come to these because they truly want to learn? They don't know anything about Native American ministry? For the most part, yes. Uh, They know that there were Native Americans at one time, and they think that we are extinct, that we no longer exist. And when I come up to them and uh, and I bring a bring the awareness I tell my story I tell the story of my people their eyes open and they and they just you know exactly <laughs> uh, they're really surprised they really are and uh, uh, and then when I start speaking about other native peoples or uh, or when I'm touring with other other native peoples you know they you know they really their eyes are, are awakened they they really are Well, that's all the time I have this week for my conversation with Deacon Andrew, Andy Orozco, of the Diocese of San Bernardino in California. But be sure to be here next weekend for the rest of his wonderful story as a Native American deacon who works in the Native American ministry in the diocese. Above all, you will love the surprise ending about a papal general audience. For more information on these stories or to check out Joan's blog and to ask her a question, go to EWTN.com. That's EWTN.com. Thanks for listening to Vatican Insider on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.